Well, uh, as mentioned earlier, Grant, you were um, on this trip around the world. I mean, literally around the world. Uh, <laughs> not, and you did it in faster than eighty days. That's the story. Remember that <laughs> right. around the world in eighty days. Uh, so you guys got around pretty quickly. You and you and uh, a few people went, but uh, of course it was trumpet editor and chief Gerald Flurry uh, taking the trip, and you were there helping him out. And so I thought we'd just turn it over to you, and you could tell us about uh, the trip and some of the highlights and where you went, and uh, just give the listeners uh, an insight into uh, what's a pretty uh, exciting uh, trip that you were just uh, came back from. Sure. Yeah. Well, we actually left uh, two weeks ago today, so. Uh, two Tuesdays ago at the end of March, um, flew into Hawaii overnight, then into uh, Fiji for a stopover. And then our first real stop on the trip was in Brisbane, Australia. That's where uh, we went to observe the Passover and the first day of 11 bread um, with some with almost 200 members there. I think it was actually like 177. So the Passover was actually the same night that we got there, uh, Wednesday night, and then, um, or no, sorry, Thursday night, right? Yeah. And then Friday night was the night to be much observed, and all 177 people actually got together in the hotel, and so there were actually like 18 tables <laughs> full of people, and we just went around talking with all those people for several several hours, um, and then... Obviously, there was double services the next day on the first day of 11 Bread on Saturday. And then we actually flew out to Sydney on Sunday morning. So that was a pretty uh, packed first stop on the trip. Yeah, and that uh, that's always exciting when everybody can get together at one time and have, have a big uh, group get together like that. And uh, so and for Mr. Flurry, he hadn't been to Australia in a while, right? So this they hadn't seen him. I don't know how much. Do you know how long it had been? It, I think it's been thirteen years. Mister Flurry says thirteen years. Uh, someone uh, in Sydney said fifteen years. So we were going to check that to see uh, which one was was right. But it's been a long time, uh, regardless. Yeah, and it's it's it highlights just one of the great advantages of having an aircraft to get around on, uh, because it makes these trips so much uh, quicker. Uh, you can be more effective with your time. And uh, it's somewhat uh, of a more refreshing, <laughs> if you can say that, trip as opposed to you know being uh, jammed into commercial plane. Uh, and so it, it makes these sorts of trips more available to get around and to get around quickly to different areas. And uh, uh, Mr. Andrew Loker has talked somewhat on the Trumpet Daily Radio Show from time to time about uh, the church's plane. That's that's uh, a fairly recent purchase. And even in the recent coworker letter, uh, talked a lot about that. Uh, a lot was written about that, and, and, and an update on that if, if the listeners are aware of that. And so uh, that's just one of the great things about a tool like that is the ability to get around the world quickly, effectively, um, in in the best possible way. And it just shrinks the world in a sense to where you can get to a lot of places that. Uh, would not be as accessible otherwise right and it does make it pretty easy to to get around to a lot of members in the philadelphia church of god in different places all over the world i mean it had been 20 years since he went to the philippines which was the last stop on the trip and it's just really hard for him uh, he's almost 84 years old i believe so for him to be going commercially you know 
for example, going to Australia takes probably like a full day mm. of actual time. And that's not even accounting for the huge time change that you have to deal with once you get there. Uh, it's very cramped. There's a lot of people hacking a lot on the flight usually or a lot of uh, you know, babies crying. And so it's, it's hard to get any rest. It's not really clean air that's being circulated through the cabin. There's disease probably. And so it, it does make you feel like you've been getting beaten up by the time you finally land at your destination, uh, going, going that way. Uh, but going on the, the PCG jet, it actually helped him feel refreshed. He, he, every single stop on the trip never felt any jet lag and even coming home he felt totally fine as well that's amazing yeah uh, taking uh trips that i have uh and they haven't been that long i've felt it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so of course being younger uh maybe can sustain it a little better but as you get older it is harder to take those trips um uh, you guys had a, a a very brief stopover in in hawaii you said i think your wife mentioned uh, in passing that you went and you looked at the Pearl Harbor yes. uh, area? That w- What was that like? Yeah, that was uh, on the way home. So we actually stopped okay. in Hawaii on the way there and on the way back. Um, I got to go to the Pearl Harbor exhibit or display for maybe like an hour and a half. Uh, so I didn't get to see the whole thing. I didn't, I didn't uh, take a ferry out to any of the different USS ships that were out in the harbor just because they were guided tours and I didn't know how long they would take and we had to fly out that same afternoon but I did uh, walk around through a lot of the museums uh, that were on the shore and I I was just reading a lot of those myself I could kind of control how long that took for me and uh, one thing that really stood out was just how uh how surprised the U.S. was at an attack like that like they underestimated underestimated the Japanese in every way. Basically, they went out to Hawaii uh, to extend their naval presence out there, but they didn't realize that to Japan, that was like pointing a neck or like a a knife directly at their throat. That that was how the Japanese felt about it. And so the U.S. uh, Navy felt pretty prepared to deal with any type of Japanese strike. But the one thing they never thought would happen was that they would literally send kamikaze planes to to bomb them from the air and they would even uh adjust the way that they drop torpedoes in the water they would fly down just 30 feet above the water they'd slow down and then they drop the torpedo in uh, normally a torpedo has to go at least like 40 feet or more below the water before it finally levels off and hits the bottom of a ship but uh the waters in pearl harbor are only 40 feet that's that was kind of the point of having a harbor out there was that it makes it pretty hard for torpedoes to hit but when the japanese planes flew lower uh, they could actually make sure that the torpedo didn't drop as far into the water before leveling off so so the u.s just wasn't prepared for any of these different uh, attacks the torpedoes the airplanes from above they just didn't think any of it was possible and so it was almost like they were a little bit too confident in their capabilities and the Japanese just immediately took advantage of that. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. I think that that really just highlights how uh, going to a place where something actually occurred and reading the history gives you a different insight than just, say, reading it in a book or something because you're there and you can see it and understand some of the history of that. Uh, you mentioned, uh, obviously, that you guys stopped at the Philippines as well and the 
the members for the Philadelphia Church of God from the Philippines are sort of famous globally for putting on these uh, pretty amazing talent shows. And they put a lot of work into it. From I've never seen one, but I've heard the legendary tales. <laughs> so we, we have quite a few listeners from the Philippines also. And uh, thanks for joining us, by the way, online <laughs> at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com. I'll put a plug in. Uh, and this trip, they put on a show as well. What, what did they do, and, and what were some of the performances? Yeah, so that was uh, that was on Wednesday that they did that. So we, like I said, we were in Brisbane uh, Saturday, then Sydney on Sunday, and then Monday night we got in to the Philippines and uh, had a had a dinner with actually every all of the employees and and the ministers there. So all the people working in the national office in the Philippines all the ministers and then the next day um i think that was maybe that that was actually tuesday um that we were with them uh and, and then every every stop if it wasn't uh double services in brisbane it was a two-hour lecture in sydney and then several hours of talking then in the philippines it was a two-hour lecture and several hours of talking but in the Philippines, it was a little bit different because they also put on a one-hour entertainment show. So you had the two-hour lecture, then the one-hour show, and then you talked with them for a while. Um, and, and the show was incredible. It was like they were simulating a flight on the PCG plane. Mm-hmm. They, had, they had like a host who was telling you, we hope you enjoy your flight and here's some in-flight entertainment for you. <laughs> and, and then basically, the, he introduced all these dances from the Philippines, China, Argentina, Spain, Italy... I might be forgetting one at this point, but all kinds of different dances. Uh, the costumes were really bright and vibrant. They had all kinds of different props, like uh, like these bamboo poles that they would clap together on the ground while people danced in between them without without getting hit. Uh, they were they were just pretty incredible. They had they had like a a warrior dance where there was like the men were holding a shield in one hand and a sword in the other, and then they would dance with it in a certain way. And they had like a, like a flowing robe on that they would sort of adjust on their bodies and they would tie it in different ways, uh, to the beat of the song, which it looked really difficult to do. And it's hard for me to even explain how they did it, but just all kinds of different, uh, dances and, at the end they had this song with this little four-year-old girl i think i think she was four and she was singing about peace and prosperity and love and unity and it was really hard to keep it together during that and then the at uh halfway through the song the entire dance cast came out and they were singing the song with her so really just knocked it home and blew everyone away and uh it's it's unlike anything you'll ever see uh that that type of an entertainment show i've seen a whole lot of them uh but this one was really unique just because of the fact that all the people gathered for months in advance practicing it. They took time off work occasionally to even practice it together because they're pretty scattered, a lot of them, and they have to really, really plan out how they can even practice for something like that. And, and just the costumes were made by the people there. Uh, all the dancers, even the, even the teens who usually you might think most teens are going to be a little bit shy, but they were really into it all just smiling, dancing their hardest the entire time. Uh, so every, every bit of it stood out. Yeah, that's amazing. And you know, when you're talking about that, it made me think about race relations mm-hmm. and, and people getting along with each other. And, you know, we do highlight a lot of stories here on trumpet radio live or, uh, you know, trumpet daily will and trumpet hour 
where you know there's problems in in uh, different nations because they're trying to have a little multiculturalism, and and it's resulting in a lot of issues. But there are wonderful things in every culture, you know, as long as they're they're God based uh, activities. And you can go see something like that and just really be awed by the ability and the talent of a people. And it's different. You know, like that's a, those are different things than what, what I would do, like as far as dancing and things. But it's awesome to see it. Mm-hmm. It's awesome to see the skill and the ability. But uh, it, And it does show, like you said with that young girl singing, that the, the races can get along. They can get together. We are not all the same, but we're all valuable. But it's okay to be different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay to not be the same, but to appreciate the the talents and the beauties uh, in every race. And really, that's what God has in mind. So, I mean, that's that's just a great picture. Just that like entertainment show and, and watching something like that. It's a great you know picture right in front of you. But like what the world tomorrow could be like, you can envision that where people take a trip to another nation and you say, I, I want to see what their entertainment is, like what they do. And uh, just to be awed and amazed by that, um, that's, that's you know, what God had in mind when he created the different races. There'd be beauty and, and amazing talents in each one, but they'd all be a little different because <laughs> variety is great. And, and that's the way people should think about race, but unfortunately they go the other way today and try to jam everybody together, and then you end up having all these problems that we see today. Exactly, and that's what was so emotional about that last song was just thinking about uh, – the world today and how it's nothing like that song at all and yet the world tomorrow is going to be just like that song says and it is like the god family vision wrapped up in a song uh just to have all peoples dwelling together in peace and in love and actually getting along and appreciating each other for their differences out of the 229 people i believe who were at that meeting in the philippines there was one white man who was there and he has lived there for a long time but no one no one looked at him weird or or kind of tried to keep him out of the group because he was a different skin color and that's that's something that is different in God's church in other places pretty much anywhere you go in the world you see people of a certain race uh of all their different races basically gravitating toward their own race and uh you could even say self-segregating in a way uh, because people just gravitate toward those who look the most like them, who have the most, I guess, shallow things in common. Uh, And it's not like that in the church where people get along no matter what the race is, no matter what the background is. And it is a picture of the world tomorrow in every way. And of course in the world tomorrow, uh, nations will be divided by race but they'll be able to visit each other a lot and they will be able to uh have that prosperity that comes with just appreciating each other for who they are so australia and the philippines the primary locations other than a few stops along the way and uh, in australia you two different stops in australia right right. brisbane for the first holy day uh of the days of 11 bread and then uh, Sydney on Sunday, uh, there was a two-hour lecture then, and then Monday was when we went to the Philippines. So uh, Mr. Flurry did a lot of speaking. He gave, actually gave both sermons on the first Holy Day, uh, and then he gave a two-hour lecture in Sydney, and then he gave a two-hour lecture in the Philippines. So all totaled, he he spoke for probably about seven hours, 
Yeah. So it was a it was a lot of work. Uh, his voice held up really well. Uh, he usually uh, would would struggle a little bit more having to speak that much, but it was like he had no issues at all. It was like he was uh, speaking for the first time in a month every time that he spoke. Wow, that's amazing. What what were some of the um, topics that he spoke on? He uh, basically talked about the God family vision, and he uh, a beautiful part of the message was he kept pointing to the the children. He said, even even these children crawling around on the floor, these babies have a chance to become gods, and and not even the brilliant fiery angels could do that same thing. So he talked about those two subjects, and then basically combined them. Uh, seamlessly he was like a perfect transition somehow uh, between those two very different subjects and he, and he did that in sydney and the philippines so he had a two-hour lecture in both places and he talked about both those subjects and then was uh, with some of those was uh, a trumpet subscribers meeting or coming to those meetings or was it all just uh church members it was all it was all just church members it was like a an extended bible study right. at each at each stop for church members um in, in both stops in australia and brisbane and sydney they had probably 180 or so close to 200 in both places and then the philippines like i said was 229 which some of them drove and flew eight to ten hours from the the far north of those islands and the far south there's 7107 islands in the philippines and a lot of the members come from the far reaches of those islands and they don't make a whole lot of money but they made a big sacrifice to actually get there and attend the meeting which was really inspiring to see yeah was uh have you been to the philippines before was this your first time this is my first time i've been to this that was my fourth time going to australia it seems like i go there every couple years for some reason but the philippines i'd never been to so i was really excited and looking forward to that uh and we got a chance to visit the national office um in the Philippines and even uh, when we were in Australia we got to visit the regional office for the church up in Brisbane Uh, and it it was pretty exciting to see that too because both both offices have a lot of space a lot of room for potential expansion if the work gets bigger in those areas you can hire more people you can have more more storage space or more more workspace and and, uh, the Philippines national office actually is um it's like a it's like a miniature campus. I wasn't expecting that at all. They have two office buildings, but they also have two homes in there, and they have their own swimming pool. Nice. Yeah, it was it was really impressive. What was your uh, impression of the country in general? I mean, it, it like you said, it's it's fairly impoverished. It's a lot of islands, mm-hmm. and you have sort of this uh, this juxtaposition between a, a very impoverished nation, but a very rich people in terms of their talents and abilities and, and uh, you know, uh, positive attitudes, at least, especially when it comes to the church. Yeah, it was a really unique experience in that way, uh, even just flying in and seeing all these islands that are basically right next to each other. Um, it being a third world country, technically, you didn't see a whole lot of uh, buildings or city clusters in most, in most of those islands. But um, it was incredibly beautiful. It's a, it's a really beautiful nation. And then when you fly in, we, we flew into Clark or Angeles City, which has had a lot of American influence in recent years. And so it was a really rich area. Um, even the people who picked us up said a lot of the country is not, not really like that. Uh, the hotel we stayed in was one of the nicest, pro- probably the nicest I've ever stayed in. It's right next to the airport there. And um, 
like the the buffet that they offer for breakfast is endless i mean there's like a gigantic room full of like all these really long tables that you can choose from so so some of those things were a real surprise just to see like first world opulence dropped into a third world country Uh, but then you get to drive a little bit uh like toward the national office for example and you do see some of the like little huts or like under a bridge there's like a whole community where it's like sort of uh their their buildings with basically like metal sheeting on the top for roofs Uh, something i've never really seen before so so different like communities that basically spring up out of nowhere obviously very poor uh, and you just see people kind of walking around uh, some of them barefoot a lot of them have like these little cheap motorcycles that they drive around really just a really great experience to see all of that um, and then to just go from like rich to poor in such a uh, such a quick moment was was a real uh, experience just in and of itself yeah, there's there's a lot of wealth on the earth, but it's concentrated mm-hmm. into certain nations and certain people. And of course, a lot of that has to do with God's blessings on uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, uh, which which the United States and Britain in prophecy talks about. Uh, any uh, any interesting uh, people that you got to meet that stood out in terms of uh, just uh, maybe a you know interaction you had or. Uh, uh, people recognizing you from uh, your radio fame, anything along those lines? <laughs> yeah, actually, quite a few people in Australia and the Philippines mentioned the radio program, so that was a, a real blessing as well, just to know that uh, there's some people out there who are pretty excited about hearing the show, and and just the station in general, too. They really are excited about that. Uh, and anytime you're a part of something like this, it's great to meet people who are passionate about it too uh then in the philippines i got to meet a lot of the young people who had attended the philippines branch of imperial academy Mm. for for the two and a half years i believe that it was open and they actually did that at the national office where we visited uh and they they said it was like the best two and a half years of their lives and and just even though it had to close uh for various reasons they don't regret getting to at least have it for as long as they did and they they've attended uh the philadelphia youth camp in the philippines as well and they were telling me some very funny stories of and and some experiences that they had there uh so just a lot of really excited people um in australia in sydney australia i met someone who had just come into the church two weeks before that and was incredibly nervous to meet Mr. Flurry. A lot of people were saying that too, just because they live so far away. Mr. Flurry's like someone they see on TV. Right. He's not even like a real person to them almost because they never see him. And to see him, it was almost like uh, meeting someone who's on TV, like meeting a celebrity almost right. because they never thought they'd get to see him in person. So they were really uh, excited about that. And then on the way home, uh, as I was. Uh, we we stopped in Hawaii, like I said, and I saw the Pearl Harbor exhibit. As I was walking out of that, I saw Adam Sandler, the comedian. Oh, really? So that was hilarious. <laughs> was he? What was he doing? Was he filming a movie or just? There? I don't know. He was just there in like a shirt and shorts and <laughs> sneakers and a hat, and he was with his little daughter and was explaining a lot of things to her and was really being pretty nice and blending in with people. I just took a really close look while he wasn't looking, made sure it was him, yeah. and then just kept walking. It made my whole day. 
Yeah, your brush with fame. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, I suppose uh, you know celebrities like to go to nice locations, and that's a nice location. So yeah. Well, just the the fact that a celebrity was at a historical site, it's not something that you normally expect. Uh, but he is actually a, a, a Republican. I'm not sure how conservative he really is, but he's not one of these liberals who wants to rewrite history. So in a way, I wasn't totally surprised to see him. But still, you know, to see Adam Sandler, who is like the star in dozens of movies right. at five feet from you is something that you don't forget. Yeah, well, I guess if he's if he's too conservative, that means he won't be working much longer. He'll be <laughs> right. just a regular guy because yeah. Hollywood doesn't seem to like those types. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it, it's uh, he, he's uh, it's almost like I knew him because he's made me laugh many times over the years. Mm-hmm. He he has a lot of movies that are uh, pretty appropriate compared to most, and so you know you you see some of those, and then you see him in person. It's like wow, he has no idea who I am, but it's almost like I know him. Yeah. Yeah, people. Well, that's probably the difficulty for somebody that is a celebrity is that everybody thinks they know you, even though they just know the character from the you know the movie, and you you're on your private time, and you're not mm. probably interested in <laughs> re redoing a character from a movie for them. But uh, that's that's part of the job, I guess. Yeah, I've always made it a point to not if I ever see someone like that, I don't want to like talk to them because I'm sure they get talked to by hundreds of people a day, probably, and they get disturbed all the time. Uh, a few years ago, my brother and I went on a baseball, I guess you could say like a baseball road trip, and we were at a Chicago White Sox game, and we were sitting out in center field, and toward the end, um, Trace Thompson, who is uh, the younger brother of Golden State Warriors uh, oh, shooting yeah. guard Clay Thompson, uh-huh. he, uh, Trace Thompson came in to play center field for the White Sox, and like a few minutes later, I just happened to turn around, and like seven rows directly behind me there was Clay Thompson <laughs> just just sitting in center field to get a better view of his brother while he played. And this really uh, drunk guy started screaming Clay Thompson's name. He was like, hey, everybody, it's Clay Thompson. Uh, Come to the Chicago Bulls, man. And and it was just really <laughs> ruining his, his night. And, and Clay Thompson was like, quiet down. I'm just trying to watch the game, please. Yeah. Don't draw attention to me. Uh, so that, that sh- sort of gave me the impression that a lot of these people don't want to be noticed if possible. And so I try not to talk to them when i actually do see them yeah give them give them a break give them a little bit of a breather yeah that's interesting and that was the uh, the year before he ruined the thunder so in, in the playoffs he basically altered the course of the thunder franchise so i didn't i didn't uh dislike him as much as i probably do now <laughs> right i remember yeah when he made about 10 threes in a row or it's ridiculous you know, something yeah. like that he just couldn't stop uh, making shots uh, so the uh, trips are going to obviously continue. At least that's the plan. Um, there's some personal appearance campaigns that are scheduled, and that's for Trumpet subscribers in those areas. So if if you're listening and you'd like to go to one and you're not a Trumpet subscriber, subscribe to the Trumpet. <laughs> it's free. And then uh, you can go see uh, Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Mr. Gerald Flurry at a personal appearance campaign. Uh, off the top, I'll put you on the spot. Do you know some of the upcoming ones? Yes, I think I think uh, there's some coming up in uh, like New York City and Toronto, and there's one in the southeast. But um, Mr. Fleury couldn't remember the exact location, and I don't really know unless he happens to tell me, which yeah. I don't. I don't even usually ask him, but he'll bring it up sometimes. So it seems like once a month is the general goal of traveling on the plane because that makes it worthwhile from a cost standpoint right and even just from 
the standpoint of keeping the plane functioning at a, at a high level, you want it to be able to fly about once a month at least. Yeah, so that's great. So there will be plenty of opportunities for listeners to get out to one of those campaigns, again, uh, Toronto and New York area, and I'm sure it'll be all over uh, coming up in the next months and years ahead, hopefully, as long as long uh, as long as we can keep doing it. And so it's a great chance to get out and to hear a, a message. And those personal appearance campaign messages are, are geared towards that audience uh, specifically. And uh, it really does uh, give the, the readership a chance to meet Mr. Fleury. Because, I mean, there are uh, many thousands of people that read the Trumpet magazine. but And they're very interested in the message, but yet they haven't gone much beyond that at this point. And so getting to a campaign and getting to meet him really does help people have a connection that they do need there. I mean, it is surprising you, 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 you know, where you run into say the trumpet magazine. You know, I remember just even a few, well, years ago and I lived uh, in, in town here in an apartment complex, I was getting my mail one day when somebody else was, and you know, all the mailboxes are in the same place and they were pulling a trumpet out of their mailbox. <laughs> I don't know. This is a guy lives a couple you know, doors down from me. And, you know, but there's a lot of people like that that you run into that you don't know that they're very much in, interested in the message of the Trumpet magazine and the Trumpet.com. But, uh, you know, they haven't done much beyond that. So these campaigns bring those people, uh, uh, a lot of them, to uh, to hear Mr. Fleury personally, have a chance to meet him. And then a lot of times that sparks their interest and uh, they go they go further and investigate more of what uh, the church is teaching. Exactly. And those campaigns have proven extremely effective for that it's usually about uh 10 percent or more who sign up for a follow-up bible study the week the week after that and then another one another week after that usually and uh basically those mr flurry does a great job in those campaigns of of showing what to do with information like that so basically now you know what the prophecies say, you know which nations are going to be dominant, which ones are going to fall in the end time. You know how dangerous the age is, uh, but how do you protect yourself from that? Or what what are the steps to take to avoid uh, the suffering that is coming, basically? And, and so to, to get practical like that and to help people understand uh, exactly what is expected of them is, is a really valuable practice and tool that Mr. Flurry has been using. Yeah, the, and it's so valuable because uh, with all the media that's out there, it is very hard to get to the bottom of a story or to find out what the truth of a matter is or even what's important. And that's where the Trumpet.com and the Trumpet Magazine and then these personal appearance campaigns come in uh, because it's just we're, we're oversaturated today with information. But then, you know, it's fake news. That's what everybody says. <laughs> it's all fake news. Everything is called fake news, but and most of it is, but there is some that is true, and that's that's what gets highlighted at the trumpet and, and of course, at these campaigns. And the goal of the trumpet is to be vastly different from all those different, uh, from all those other news sources. Um, I uh, humored myself by turning on one of these mainstream stations over the weekend, and typically they were just resorting to basically gossip type subjects about the president none of the substantial stuff they're not talking about the coming trade war between the u.s and china which is actually a very important thing uh that they should be talking about uh they're not they're not talking about um the the situation in syria anymore it's almost like they've moved on from that so a lot of different news outlets now don't even care about 
what's most important. They care about what's most what's the most scandalous, what's going to draw the most viewers because it is like a gossip type story. And the trumpet will focus on the important things, even if even if that's not what everyone wants to read at the time. The trumpet will explain why you need to read it and why it is the most important and why it actually is more interesting than all the gossip stories because it has to do directly with your own life. Yeah, and uh, I will say if you've seen the new cover for the trumpet, uh, the new magazine, the new uh, monthly edition, uh, it's it's astounding. Where it has the Statue of Liberty being pulled. Oh yeah, uh, mostly uh, to the left, and there's <laughs> one little string trying to pull it back the other direction. Uh, just very well done, very well thought out. In uh, and and now, I mean, you could hear me say that and say, "Well, yeah, you're going to say that because you're supposed to." But no, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I was really taken aback by it in a positive way when I saw it. I thought that's a that, that's a great illustration of what's happening in this country. Everything is pulling. Uh, to the radical left, and there's very, very few holding on, trying to trying to pull it back the other direction. Not that we're talking about necessarily politics. It's not like the the politics are right on either side of that. But if you're just talking about how far away from any sort of even traditional conservative value that in some way could be traced back to the Bible, <laughs> at least, e- even just a touch, uh, that's being just absolutely obliterated in this country. Well, that's right. I I, I saw that cover too and was immediately telling my wife about how amazing it is and explaining all the symbolism to her because she didn't have the context when she came in the room uh and it is it is a really powerful image that perfectly explains what is going on right now because basically all you have is uh, mr trump trying to at least stop the entire nation from jumping off the radical left cliff and he's not even like an incredibly conservative person either, but he at least has some common sense in some of these ideas that he's trying to push. Uh, You know, he lost on the budget, but he definitely does want to secure the border. He does want to build up the military. He does want America to be a formidable power. He does appear to actually love the country, which you couldn't really say about a lot of these radical left leaders. And you have media, you, you have a lot of high ranking officials in what they call the deep state with all these FBI agents and Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. And then you have all the athletes and celebrities who are just very outspoken about their opinions. And they're really trying to pull the country into a socialist state. And uh, one thing I've learned from traveling to some of these other nations is America doesn't really understand how great it has it. And you notice it in all kinds of little ways Every nation is is unique and special in its own way, and it's fun to travel, but none of them come close to America in terms of having freedom and having just unlimited access to whatever you want to go after in this life. And and basically what the radical left is trying to do is transform America into all these other countries that don't even come close to America. Right, and in their vision— they're the ones that are the leader. They're on top. They're getting all the spoils. Their lifestyle is going to be opulent. But everybody else is going to be down low. Exactly. And that's that's the thing. You know, they try to make it out like they're fighting for the people, and they're for the people, and they're of the people. And they're so elitist. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, they're not. They don't want to live in a third world condition, but they don't care if you do. Right. But they'll be happy to rule over you as a taskmaster. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing that people don't 
stop and, and, and look, like you said, at some of these other nations. And maybe that's a big part of it. Maybe nobody travels. Maybe nobody knows what it's like in these other nations. And, and therefore, uh, you know, they hear something in a class from a college professor or high school teacher or, you know, whatever their, their clique says about uh, some of those places, and they've never experienced it to even know. Mm-hmm. You know, it's even, it's even like people that say we get behind a, a Bernie Sanders-type movement, which is, well, socialism, but then it goes even further than that, ultimately to communism. They've never lived in a socialist country. They haven't lived in a communist country. So they don't even know what they're supporting. And uh, that lack of history, that lack of travel, that lack of life experience, it's very dangerous because you can be fooled and be trapped very quickly. Exactly. And uh, a prime example of that is like Australia is being pointed to a lot, especially with the gun control issue that's going on right now. But they, so few of those people have guns and it's almost impossible to get one if you wanted one that what if what if china decided we're not just going to take your resources we're not just going to buy your ports and own them for the next 99 years but we're actually going to come in militarily and take over your country the australian military isn't powerful enough to stop that and even on an individual level no one would be armed to try to fight back against that either that's what the second amendment is really for in america and and primarily that's even for just stopping our own government from doing that to us much less a foreign power but if you don't have those guns it's almost like you're at the mercy of your government and what government wouldn't take away those guns and make sure they had total control over your life if you let that happen Uh, that's what so many of these teenagers really who are leading the gun control movement don't even think about if you are not going to be at the top of that coming socialist government that you're advocating for life will not be so good for you and you'll be trampled by your own government whenever they feel like it yeah lots of historical examples of that happening uh so that's uh, a look at the whirlwind trip and uh only two weeks right it was, was it even two weeks it was uh really like parts of nine days yeah so it was a pretty fast trip uh there's there's really no time for doing anything. I mean, even even Pearl Harbor, I was pushing it to even get to see that at all. So uh, these these trips are usually pretty fast. They're definitely not uh, vacations in any way. Yeah, it, I mean, traveling takes a toll, even if it's uh, done in a way that's as effective as possible. Uh, you feel like you're you're uh, you're back in the routine and uh, you know sleeping at normal hours and all those things. Yeah, there wasn't really much of a problem with jet lag for me either so it was it was just a matter of uh just resting a little bit it was nice to be able to sleep in the same place more than one night in a row which was pretty rare on the last trip uh and just to be able to be able to be with the family again was really special too your daughter remembered who you were she did (laughs) i I gave her uh, a really big uh two really big stuffed animals so she was pretty happy to see me again The, the kids don't mind so much if you go on a trip once in a while as long as you bring something home. <laughs> exactly. You got to come back with something, Dad. You can't you can't come back empty-handed. That's the tradition now. I, I always try to buy something uh, on all these different trips wherever I go. Uh, sometimes it's really small, but other times I'll get a few things, and, and it's almost like it evens out. Yeah. 
You got a little more space, so you don't have to worry so much about the carry-on. Exactly. So you usually you... have an extra bag with, for gifts now. Yeah. <laughs> what, what did you bring me? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> uh, next time. Next yep, time. Bring next time. Back. Now that you mention it, I actually will. Oh, okay. There you go. Uh, bring me Adam Sandler's autograph <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from Pearl Harbor. Uh, so anyway, we appreciate that update. That's all the time we have for today here on Trumpet Radio Live. Make sure you listen for the uh, Kia David program and Trumpet Daily Radio Show. It's coming up here in just a bit on KPCG from uh, for Grant Turchin and myself, Dwight Falk. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. You're listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.